All right, so we are, this is our last Sunday in the week of Advent because next Sunday is um, Christmas Day. And Advent is the season of basically waiting for the birth of Jesus. Uh, four weeks anticipating the birth of, of Jesus. And so today, um, before I jump into the topic of what I'm going to be talking about, I mean, I think these are universal questions that most of us have asked. I mean, have you ever wondered, what is God asking from you in your life? Does God care if you're amazing, successful, or special? Is a simple life pleasing to God? And what does simple faith look like? And today we're going to be talking about a topic that we, a lot of evangelical churches or Protestant churches don't talk about that often, which is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I think that her life uh, answers all of these questions, and she is a very unique individual within the story of the gospel. And so when we look at Mary, I think she had a completely unique life. Um, she is a teenage girl that gets approached by uh, uh, angels to carry the Messiah. And Mary is an amazing example to all of us and someone that we should really dive into more often about understanding and really being inspired by, because I think she, she breaks a lot of stereotypes for us, especially as American Christians. Um, and I think, you know, one of the questions that I ask myself is, is, is who gets to participate in God's kingdom and why? Who gets to participate and why do we get to participate? And Mary is this fantastic um, individual who really, I think, again, is just a wonderful person to, to you know, look into. And so in Matthew 1, uh, 18 through 25, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so when we, when we read through Scripture, um, I think there's a couple things that we get wrong, and, and especially in our culture. And one of those things that we, I believe, get wrong regularly is we tend to look at people within the biblical stories as exceptions, meaning that they, they weren't like us, that Moses is special, Isaiah wasn't like me, Ruth was not just a normal woman, but she was a special type of woman. And we just honestly think that these people were just not normal humans, that they weren't like us. But one of the interesting things about Joseph and Mary is that they're never described as being exceptional or other than or more than human or different than us in any way because they're just ordinary people. 
Joseph and Mary are ordinary people. And, and we tend to think about people maybe in tiers or categories that these people have it and these people don't, the haves and the have-nots, the exceptional people, and then just the normal people like us. And so we tend to think that people in the Bible aren't like, that, aren't like us, and so in many ways then excuses us from a attempting to be like them in certain ways. If, if they're not normal humans, then why should I even aspire to try and be like them? But Mary isn't really exceptional and I think teaches us some simple truths. And, and one of them is, one, the power of just being yourself, of just being you. And the other thing is saying yes to God. Being yourself and saying yes to God. So here's Mary, and the interesting thing about this is she's a teenage girl when all of this takes place. Again, we think God chooses exceptional people, and in many ways, like, here's my resume, these are the things I've done, I'll kind of gloss over the things that I don't like. Um, these people have these huge resumes that God somehow chooses them. But the reality is, Mary's a teenager. What has she achieved in her life up to this point? She's a teenage girl. What has she achieved? We tend to project all sorts of stuff onto her that she's, and there's things we don't know. She's a prayer warrior. She was an intercessor. She memorized scripture. I mean, surely Mary could have never had a bad thought. Ever. Could have never thought ill about anyone. She did recognize the voice of God and the angels, so she has a relationship with God. But we have to remember, she's just a young girl. She's just a young girl. And so in Luke 1, she's, you know, being approached. Mary says this, Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And so it doesn't seem so amazing to me. She says, Here I am, a servant of the Lord. Here I am. Here I am. Do with me what you will. And I think for a lot of us, we underestimate the power of saying yes to God. And Mary says some really, she says yes to a lot of hard things. I mean, if you think about it, she says, yeah, one, yes to being pregnant by God. I mean, full stop, really weird. That's, that's, I mean, that's just weird, to be honest, if we're being honest. Like, What? Uh, she says yes to, birth, uh, to giving birth in a barn. That's kind of, I mean, that's another tough one. You're like, hey, there's no room for you in the end, so, but the ant, there's a barn over there. She says yes to moving to Egypt, and there were no U-Hauls. How'd they get there? I mean, think about that. It's a long haul. She's pregnant. Yes to moving back to Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth. Yes to watching her uh, son grow and be really, really weird. And then die. I mean, when we think about Jesus being weird, right? You think, how many, I'm not going to, don't raise your hand. Uh, how many of us think our kids are weird? 
and I mean, I think the reality is for us, as who are parents, at some point in time, when you're, when you're a younger parent, you're like, all right, I think this kid could like make it to a, above average. Then as your kid starts to grow a little bit older, you're, just sli- you're hoping for slightly uh, more than okay. You're like, okay, I'm just hoping they'll stay safe and be better than okay. That's my goal in life. And I mean, the reality is, what would it, what would it be like for you to have a kid that was perfect? I have three teenagers. Uh, they know everything or they think they know everything, what if your kid did know everything? What if your kid was right all the time, in reality? And not only that, knew your thoughts. That'd be tough, huh? <laughs> you're like, go to your room. I know what you're thinking, Dad. Like, no, this is horrible. And they're right all the time. And they're super weird. What do you do? I mean, what would it be like to have Jesus as a kid? I don't know if you ever thought about that, but she said yes to that. And so through it all, Mary says, here I am, the servant of the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. And so, I mean, how mysterious must this have been for Mary, that all of these things are are taking place, And she would have been acquainted with all the scriptures because she was Jewish, and so she grew up with all the stories, and she would have known about the Messiah, the one that was to come. And so she would have been acquainted with all these stories from uh, childhood. But to really imagine that you're the one to fulfill these scriptures, that you're, you're the virgin that is spoken about, you're the one that's going to give birth to the Messiah, to the chosen one. And so then you have the astrologers, the three wise men who show up and in the barn, which has to be really kind of awkward, and then these guys show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and gold meaning that it represents the royalty, the frankincense, that he's of a priestly caste, and then the myrrh, which is basically the spices that they bury people in. How unique that must have been for her. I mean, for all of us, we're just happy if our kids are born ten fingers, ten toes. How's the baby? Ten fingers, ten toes. It's all good. It's all good. Healthy child. What a weird experience for her. And then Simeon and Anna, the people at the temple, they're like freaking out. This is the one. You've, you've given birth to the one. And through it all, she continues to say yes to God. And I think that there's something to who Mary is versus what it is that she accomplished previous to Jesus. We tend to judge ourselves by what we accomplish. What have I accomplished? What have you accomplished? And then we project this idea onto God, that God loves me because I've done X, Y, Z, or or God is kind of like he's uncertain about me because I've done all of these bad things. So we have this 
idea about God of, of why he uses us or why he uses certain people. But again, she's just this teenage girl. What has she done before God chooses her? God chooses her because he chooses her. God chooses you because he chooses you. God loves you because he loves you. God made you because he wanted you. And you have something to accomplish. You, have, you get to join into this relationship with him that's not based on your deeds and who you are, but it's based on his unconditional love for you. And so when I ask the question, what does God really want from me? I, I think a lot of us think that we have to be awesome all the time. Best of the best. We have to be accomplishing something, doing something, that I have to be better tomorrow than I was today, that I constantly have to reinvent myself to be awesome all the time. I'm trying to be awesome today, but I'm exhausted from being so freaking awesome yesterday. But Mary isn't awesome. Mary's just Mary. She's just a teenage girl who got approached with a very unique invitation. She's just herself, which I think is incredibly, I hope, is very encouraging to all of us. She's herself. She's a teenage girl. She's simple, honest, open, and willing. She wasn't some great speaker. She wasn't some great warrior. She wasn't in the synagogue doing any amazing things. She's Mary. And she has this simple faith in God. What if faith is best demonstrated in being you here and now? Simply, just being you. Like being in union with God. That, that I am the temple of the living God. And just by simply being me, by accepting who I am, where I'm at, and accepting that I'm in him and that he loves me unconditionally, that there's nothing I can do to make him love me more and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. He just loves me unconditionally. And he's chosen me. And by me, I mean all of us. That he's chosen you. Because that's who he is. Because he's a good God. He's a loving God. That you don't have to do anything to impress him. He's already impressed. Because you're created in his image. That you were formed in your mother's womb to be who you are, exactly who you are. And that he loves you unconditionally. And he chooses you to be a part of his kingdom. And to be a part of his program. Not based on your accomplishments or your resume, which were like, God, I've done all these cool things for you. But he just loves you. And I think Mary communicates or can communicate this to us that, again, I find it incredibly fascinating that he didn't pick this. He just picked the teenage girl. What if faith, Mary-style faith, is best demonstrated in simply and honestly being you? And knowing that you're loved unconditionally by God.
Full stop, done deal. You don't have to do anything more. He loves you. And I don't think, in the end, that Mary really chose to try and be an amazing person. I think that by choosing to be a mom. I mean, if we really look at what Mary contributes to the biblical narrative, to like cosmic narrative, if, if we're honest, to the kingdom of God, um, to Jesus' story, she was a mom. That's what she did. And it was amazing. Shout out to the moms. That's what she was. She was a mom. When you look at the story, what did she do? She was just there with Jesus. She bossed him around. I mean, I think she's the only person that actually bossed Jesus around. She's like, no, you will turn this water into wine now. He's like, yes, mom. I guess there is something to say when you're bossing around God in the flesh, huh? I guess she's the only person that ever did that. But that's what moms do. She was just a mom. She was there when when he was crucified. There's only three people there, and she's one of them, because that's what a good mom would do. So what did she do? She just did what she felt was right, what any mom would do. And hopefully that's encouraging to us to say, do I have to do all these things? Will God be more pleased with me if I do all these amazing things? Or is God pleased with me and then I get to just go and participate in his kingdom? There's a big difference in that statement. I have to go and do amazing things to make God pleased. Or is God just pleased with me? Which inspires me to say, Failure is not an option because I can never be a failure because if God is for me, who can be against me? And that I'm loved unconditionally no matter what it is that I do. Mary is a teenage girl who is a mom. And we should be inspired by her and by that. It's very counterculture to American Red Bull celebrity Christian culture. So in Luke 2, uh, 2 uh, 34-35, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. This scripture has always stood out to me. Um, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. In many ways, and I have thought this in the past, we often think that saying yes to God will keep us from pain. Like if I just do God's will, if I say yes to God, if I do the right things all the time and I just obey him as best I can, that this will keep us from the pain. I know that for myself that was something that maybe I'm, you're just like my confessional. I'm like, here, you guys are my confessional. Um, in that I know that I believe that. I mean, when I got saved, I was in a, obviously in a bad way, you know, living in a house at Tiger Field, drinking all the time, and I got saved, and it was like this straight, upward to the right trajectory, like a good-looking stock market ticker. 
And I just assumed that I would not suffer a great deal of pain because I was doing all the right things following Jesus, and that just wasn't the case. A sword would also pierce my heart, and a sword will pierce everyone's heart, including the mother of Jesus. And so when we think about the pain of following Jesus, that Mary had to go through that as well, in that all of these wonderful things that she experienced, hearing the voice of God, giving birth to uh, God in flesh, watching him grow up, being mesmerized by him, watching him go to the temple and school, the, the, you know, the lawyers and the priests and all of these things, that that still couldn't keep her from experiencing pain and death and experiencing these things, and that a sword would pierce her heart as well, and it would be horrifying, I'm sure. And when we look at the biblical narrative, that there's a struggle all around us, that sin and death, good and evil, this is something that is... I don't know where, oh, we were at the wrestling match yesterday, and we were tired of, there's, as with anyone else, you know, my life is a mixture of good news and bad news. There's always some type of bad news happening, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe all of this is happening. And I said to my wife, I, think, um, I said, well, I, I don't know where we were at. I'm like, well, Jesus had to come for some reason, and the reason is the brokenness of creation and the brokenness of humanity. So when we see examples of this, I don't know, even though it surprises us still to this day, we shouldn't necessarily be surprised that the wages of sin is death and that there's a struggle of good and evil all around us. And I think for most of us, including myself, we try to insulate ourselves from it. Like, I don't want to experience that. I don't want to experience sin. I don't want to experience other people's sin. I don't want to experience the brokenness of the world. I don't want to experience any of that. But it keeps pressing in against us at the same time. In many ways, we can't choose. We can choose to insulate ourselves, but it's still something that we experience on a regular basis. And so when we say yes to following Jesus, and at some point his own mother had to say yes to him as Savior of the world, that we enter into that struggle in a new and profound way. That this cosmic thing that is being played out between good and evil and sin and death and brokenness and rebirth, that we get invited into that by Christ. But when we look at the biblical account, what we see is that Jesus is the unique one. And the rest of us get invited in that we're normal people doing normal things. Empowered by the kingdom of God, and that makes them amazing. And I don't know, and this is probably something that I misunderstood as a younger believer, that really what God wanted was like, God's generals or God's amazing people that the, here are the haves and the have-nots and these people know what they're doing and these people don't know what they're doing. I don't know that God's wanting any of that. God's just wanting us, each one of us, to, to say yes to him and to be ourselves and to be honest with him, be honest where we're at and to honestly express the kingdom of God where we're at doing the things that we do. 
What does the kingdom of God look like? The kingdom of God looks like us right here, the church of God, the body of Christ, us, you and me. In all of our brokenness, in all of our foolishness, that Mary hopefully inspires us that a teenage girl who had up to that point accomplished being a teenage girl I mean, what if, like Mary's prayer, what she says, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. But in many ways, you probably think, like, if we made some, like, magical prayer, and then the next day you're like, whoa, I'm, like, living out the biblical narrative at my job. No, your job might still be annoying and lame. I don't know what to tell you. You know, but you're like, here I am, Lord, use me in some way. Here I am. I am your servant. Do unto me what you will. Again, just simply being you. God made you because he wants you. Simply you. So in his birth, creation finds a new beginning. And in his death, sin is defeated. Is the pain worth it? Is it worth, worth it to say yes to God? And I would say, ask any mother, is the pain worth it? I mean, that's a real example. And the pain is worth it. The answer is yes. So Mary is this simple teenage girl who said yes to God. Which I hope is really encouraging to you in that most of us, all of us, I mean, all of us have done certain things in terms of like accomplishments and stuff, but I don't know that God's as interested in that as we are. And that God is interested in who you are. And God is interested in using you. And much of the kingdom of God, I think, goes unnoticed because it's just normal life, but done by people who have faith in Christ. And that sometimes you'll do amazing things, I have no doubt. But the majority of life is just like normal living for him in this amazing way. So what is God asking you to say yes to in this season of your life? I think that's a good question. What is God asking you to say yes to in this season of your life? And whatever it is that you say yes to, you're going to say no to something else. So if you're, God's asking you to say yes to something, then it might mean that you're laying down something else in your life. What is he asking you to say yes to in this season of your life? He has chosen you, and he is and wants to use you. Just like you use Mary, this teenage girl, whose simple faith would challenge and inspire us, I hope. What is it that God is asking you to say yes to in this season of your life?
We're going to take communion like we do every Sunday. Communion is open to those who are followers of Jesus or want to start following Jesus. So if you have a relationship with him, you can come and take communion. If you would like to start following him today, you can come and take communion. The cracker represents Jesus' body that was broken for us in that Jesus is the only person born of flesh who had a whole and a whole body that was not corrupted by sin. He allowed his body to be broken for us. And that in the end, by the power of the resurrection, he defeats sin and defeats death. That we now, as we are partakers of his body, can have bodies like his that are unblemished by sin and death. And that we too will be a part of the resurrection of the dead. We too will be a part of the new heaven and the new earth that the wine represents his blood that was poured out for our sins, past and present and future sins, that now if we are in Christ, he views us as being sinless, that when he looks upon us, he does not see our brokenness, he does not see our sinfulness, but he sees his son, and he sees us as the righteousness of God in Christ. So the way that we do this is everyone comes down the center aisle if you want to take communion, you take a piece of the cracker, you dip it in the wine, and then we go around the sides like this so the fish flow nicely in the stream. And then we hold on to the cracker and wine together, and then we'll all partake together. So if you'd like communion, please come on down.
Oh, Lord. Thank you that you love us. Jesus, we thank you for coming and dying on our behalf. Thank you that you've taken our sin and our death into your body. And that we too overcome sin and death because we are in you as you are in us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have faith like your mother. Have simple faith to say yes to you. Thank you for your death on the cross. Let's partake. Okay, well, a couple things. First, one's a funny one, and then one's serious. My wife just rebuked me and told me that the wise men would have uh, met Jesus when he was two and not in the barn, so I apologize for leading anyone astray theologically for that. <clears throat> if that made you stumble in your faith, I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> You're like, I'm giving up on Jesus. I can't believe that the wise men came to the barn. I'm sorry. You can approach me later. Um, the other ones are not so... Uh, this is a... Um, Someone had brought this up. I just feel like it's a prophetic word for us. And we're going to get a little weird here, which is all right, because uh, we're all weird. In that, um, you know, when I'm talking about Mary and I'm talking about everything that she's going through and, and just that God loves her unconditionally and he chooses her, not because she's amazing, but um, just because God chooses her and God doesn't choose us because we're amazing or he doesn't give up on us because we mess up that God chooses us and uses us because that's who he is. That's in his nature. That's, that's who he is, that he chooses us, that he chooses you. That there, someone had brought up that um, there might be people in the room who genuinely don't feel that God unconditionally loves you. That you might have done things or that God's love is conditional and that you've messed up or you haven't said yes or that all the no's that you've said have like disqualified you in some way, um, that you feel that way and that God, God's unconditional love is not for you. And if that is you, if what we're going to do, I just ask you to raise your hand and then raise your hand and then some people are going to gather around you um, and pray for you. So it's going to take a little bit of bravery on your part to raise your hand. But in the end, it'll be good, I promise. So if that is you and you do struggle with believing that God loves you unconditionally, would you be willing to raise your hand right now? Okay? Anyone else? Okay? Anyone else? Thank you for being brave. Great opportunity to be prayed for by the body of Christ. Anyone else? Okay, this is what we're going to do. So for the couple folks that raised their hands, people that are near them, we're going to gather around them. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to lay hands on them, and we're going to pray for them 
to experience the unconditional love of Christ. If you would like to get up and pray for those people, feel free to do that. If uh, you're a believer, then you're more than qualified to pray for people. And for those of you who are not doing that, we're just going to ask for like three or four minutes of just silence. Todd, maybe you can play a little quiet music and we'll just get after it for a little bit. 